I don't see any progress on this uh, uh, projection, video projection, which is okay because blessed are the flexible, for they shall not break. <laughs> Now, I have, I'm going to have to put aside my little clicker. Can use the clicker. I could do this, but that doesn't do us any good because there's nothing up there. I have some real live pictures of, of the two witnesses tonight. So I'm sorry I can't show them to you. Live pictures. Yeah, right. So we'll just have to do with what we have tonight. But uh, Revelation chapter 11, <clears throat> I just realized this week that it's, it's our, our fifth study in this chapter, uh, which is okay because we're not going anywhere except to heaven when the Lord comes. <laughs> if we know Jesus Christ, I hope you all do. So that's, uh, that would really be the joy of my heart to know that every one of us here is just waiting at the bus stop, you know, for, for the Lord to come for us. But, of course, not waiting just at the bus stop, but doing the things that God would have us to do in this life. But uh, I want to finish at least our study tonight on, on the two witnesses and their effect on the times in which God has called them. And what we've learned in Genesis, I'm sorry, Genesis, uh, Revelation chapter 11 what we've learned up to this point in, in our study is that these two witnesses are identified for us very clearly by the acts that they do that are in conjunction with the acts of the prophets of the, of the time, of time past. Which, of course, one is very clear to be Elijah. The other was uh, a little bit more of a difficulty to try to nail down as, his, as far as his identity, but... <clears throat> based on what we learned about the, uh, uh, the consistency of the kinds of judgments, uh, the plagues and, and, uh, and, and all that uh, we would consider that this second uh, witness is Moses. And um, then when you think of the Mount of Transfiguration appearance with Jesus, there was Elijah and there was Moses. And uh, they were not like uh, some kind of disembodied spirits. They were really them because it was really Jesus who was with them. And because of that, then what we realize is that they could recognize them uh, because of who they were in what they did. Elijah, of course, being that great prophet who represents the prophets, Moses representing the law. And when they talked to Jesus on the mount, they were dealing primarily with the coming kingdom. But the only way that there could be a coming kingdom is that... Jesus must first die. So when they met on the Mount of Transfiguration, they were discussing, or not discussing so much, but talking about and conferring with Jesus about his impending death. And that has a lot to do with, with our understanding of, of these two witnesses. <clears throat> because they're, they're going to be called to another time in the near future in the very city of Jerusalem. 
in the very nation that has been risen out of the ashes of the Holocaust, Israel. And with all the cries today in that country for a temple, and that of course coming from the more religious of the Jews, but nonetheless, there is a cry for the temple and there is a cry for the coming of Messiah, although Messiah has already come. And we know that he came to them first, but his own did not receive him. But as many as received Jesus, Yeshua, the Mashiach, the Messiah, to them gave he the right to become the sons of God or the children of God to as many as believe in his name, both Jew and Gentile. The church was founded upon really the, 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 the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon Jewish people who had received the truth. And so there is this, all this connection with Judaism or in the sense of, of the Jewish people. Because Jesus, not so much Judaism, but the, the Jewish people, because Jesus is going to deal with seven more years uh, with his people Israel. That's all that's left for them to be completely dis- disciplined, completely chastised. And we saw that in the book of Daniel chapter 9. So now they are in Jerusalem for three and a half years. We believe it's going to be from the beginning of the, uh, the three and a half years to the middle of the three and a half years. It is at that point that we want to kind of pick up on where we are with these uh, two witnesses. You have to bear with me. I just want to keep flipping up here. I can't do that. So let's go to verse 7, because verse 7 is, is uh, the beginning of our, of our study tonight. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And then those from the, tri- the people's tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. It's kind of cruel, isn't it? But let me ask you a question. Has that happened in our recent past with anybody? In the news in the Middle East? Think about it. It has happened. It has happened. There have been American soldiers that have been dragged through certain streets in Afghanistan and Iran, in Iraq. There are American journalists, Jewish, Daniel Pearl to, to name one, beheaded. Video put on YouTube. Is it hard for us to believe then that they would let two bodies lie in the streets of the city of Jerusalem? It's not so far-fetched, is it? With what we see in the news today. Verse 10, And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them. There will be people rejoicing across the whole world that these two witnesses are finally dead. Make merry, it says. Isn't that an interesting phrase? They're going to make merry. 
and send gifts to one another. Uh oh. They're going to make merry and send gifts to one another because the prophets are dead. Ding dong, the prophets are dead. They're going to be very happy because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now, after the three and a half days that they lie in the streets, or they lay in the streets of of Jerusalem, after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. They heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. Harpasso. Come up here. And they're taken. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. In the same hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, seven thousand people were killed, and the rest were afraid, and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. It won't be... Too much longer before the American holiday season is upon us. The American holiday season. I think you all know what I mean when I say that, right? Uh, in a little over a month and a half, we'll have that, that horrid holiday called Halloween, which means that we'll start seeing Christmas decorations and advertisements, and somewhere between all of that is Thanksgiving. Right? And oh, how holidays have changed. Halloween has become an evil perversion of a religious holiday, and that's not to say that it was ever any good before. There are plenty of politically correct atheistic voices today crying for the removal, the permanent removal of Christ from Christmas and the removal of light from Hanukkah. You know, Hanukkah is the festival of light for the Jews. But we can't have that, you see, because we can't offend anybody. Everybody has the right to offend us, but not to be offended. So it's the way it is. And, and what is Thanksgiving today all about now if it isn't about an overemphasis of food and football? Right? How things have changed. But a holiday is coming in the very near future that is direct, directly connected to the presence of two witnesses who will appear in the city of Jerusalem at the onset of the seven-year period of tribulation And they're going to be here. God is going to bring them here. These two witnesses. Elijah and Moses, let's say. And they're going to appear in the city of Jerusalem to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. To preach Jesus Christ and His coming kingdom. To prophesy the coming judgment that has actually already begun during the time of their preaching. The first three and a half years is is just as much a time of tribulation, but not as intense as the the last half of the seven years. And then they're going to perform great acts of power to prove their heavenly calling at a time of great apostasy. They're going to preach Christ. And as I mentioned earlier, last week or the week before that, uh, I mentioned that one of the grandest places for them to be is really outside of this temple 
outside of the place where sacrifices are going to be given the opportunity to start up again. And what do we say about that? They're going to be sacrificing again, except that because Jesus Christ has already come, it's a false sacrifice. So the two prophets who know Jesus because they've met with Jesus and they know that Jesus had come to die are preaching the true Christ. They're preaching the true sacrifice that the Jews need to come to. And for three and a half years, they're going to be protected by the power of God to preach the way they've been called to preach. Protected. And because of that, they're going to be hated by the majority of people, not only in the city of Jerusalem, but also throughout the world. Now again, you have to understand this picture. Jerusalem, the center of Israel. Israel, the center of this earth. The temple, the very center of it all. That is the very location that God Himself said, That is my city, that is my place. As long as people are obedient to the Lord, but no one's obedient to the Lord here, except those two witnesses and those who hear them and follow after them and come to Christ. We talked about the Temple Mount and and the fact that that temple doesn't have to be a huge temple, just need to have a, a space there. And this Antichrist is going to come as the man of peace and he's going to bring this this idea. That the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock uh, Temple do not have to be taken down. We can put them right here in this place here and everybody's going to be happy. We just want peace. And the Jews are excited. And the Muslims are excited. There's not a whole lot of Christians around because they're gone. But there are some people who know Christ and they're excited a little bit because they know that things are happening with these two prophets. 144,000 at least are excited. They're coming to the Lord and we'll see them a little later. So, notice then that the climate of what it's going to be. The Jews and the Muslims are going to be kind of in a peace and kind of worshiping the way they want to worship for three and a half years. But in those three and a half years, these two prophets are going to be preaching Christ. They're going to be preaching repentance and the kingdom of God. And they're going to be hated by the majority of people, not only in the city, but also throughout the world, throughout the whole world. Because every day for three and a half years, Fox News and CNN and all the other news sources, which have cameras there in the Middle East already, are going to be broadcasting these things worldwide, which maybe 50, 60, 70 years ago we would have thought to be a little bit uh, far-fetched, but it's not far-fetched, is it? When we were in Israel in, uh, in 2009, I believe it was 2009, um, which was back at that time when uh, that Colonel uh, uh, Hassan had uh, uh, killed those, uh, uh, the people there at, uh, at Fort Hood and, and uh, did that horrible act there. When we were in Israel and we saw the news there of what was happening, when it happened, when it was happening, at night. 
So, you know, I can't get the date right because I forget. Senior moment here. But the point is, the point is that we were on the other side of the world watching it happen right then and there. And that's what's happening today. What happened this week in Washington, D.C.? We knew it immediately. Breaking news, they call it. We see it every day. We saw it on 9-11-2001. The whole world is going to be affected by what happens in the area of Jerusalem and Israel. And their deaths at the hands of the beast, as it tells us here, the beast who comes out of the abyss, the beast, the Antichrist, but pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. They're just working on stuff. Oh, look. Look how pretty. Get pretty, I start doing. All right. Let's see what we got here. Okay, they're working on one side. All right. See, now I'm distracted. Okay. All right. Probably would have done best if we could have waited. But that's okay. I want them to keep working. You can just focus right here. Okay. Not at me, but at what's being said. So the hands of the beast, the Antichrist, who comes out of the abyss, as we just read, uh, the deaths of these two prophets will be celebrated. It's beginning to look a lot like Antichristmas. It's beginning to look a lot like Antichristmas. It's a holiday. It's a holiday. That these two prophets have been killed. We'll come back to that. Let's remember that the ministry of the two witnesses is first and foremost prophetic. It is a prophetic ministry. Revelation chapter 11, verse 3. Just look back up to verse 3 and it says, And I will give power. Notice power. If you have a, a pen or, or a highlighter, highlight the word power. If you haven't already, because we've already studied this a couple of times. Power. But hold on to that later. And then it says, I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy. So there's the first point. Their, their ministry is about prophecy. It is about prophesying. It is about foretelling as well as forthtelling. They are foretelling the warnings that are going to come because people have rejected the true Messiah, Jesus Christ. And they're going to prophesy 1,260 days, which means they're going to prophesy without a day off. They're going to prophesy for three and a half years without a day off. That in itself is a miracle. That in itself is God's power in two men. We probably aren't going to take coffee breaks. They're going to continue to do what God has called them to do. And then it says, clothed in sackcloth. You all see that? Underline that. Underline, they will prophesy and underline clothed in sackcloth. You'll understand why we haven't talked much about that. We did a little bit. But notice at the end of the verse that they will be wearing sackcloth, which means that they will be preaching a message of repentance. They are preaching the message of repentance because that is what we ought to be preaching until the day of Jesus Christ. People must repent of their sins, turn from their sins, turn to God, turn to Christ, turn to the cross, turn to the understanding of what the blood of Christ means in their cleansing and forgiveness of our sins. In all of these things, we want people to turn to Jesus Christ. And when we do, we want them to turn from their sins. There, there's a little dis junction or disjointedness here in, 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 the, in the preaching of the gospel nowadays. 
We're, we're more in the church, and I say in general, but, you know, there's some, such a strong liberal side in the church today that doesn't believe in a lot of things that the Bible says. But they, but they say, okay, well, we, you know, we have crosses on our, and they're pretty ornate crosses on our buildings and stuff like that. But we don't really believe that Jesus died on the cross, or maybe we don't believe that he was born of a virgin, like the Word says. But all of these things are really good stories and good metaphors and good, uh, all of these things are good stuff to kind of encourage our hearts along and to be better people. And Jesus is a nice example of being a sweet, kind and loving and merciful and tender-hearted. But I don't think they've read the scriptures. He is all of that and more. But there is a hard side. There is a hard statement because Jesus never surrenders being God. He is God in the flesh. He is holy and He is righteous. He is just and He is true. And when Jesus Himself preaches about the end times, He reveals so much of what is going on today. And it's all wrapped up in one word that Jesus started out in Matthew 24 talking about the end times when He says, Many will be deceived. Many will be deceived. Some people think we don't want to have a hard message. We want people, you know, we don't want to step on any toes. Jesus did. Jesus stepped on a lot of toes. He stepped on the very toes of the religious Jews who he came to save. Even he, he told that Syrophoenician woman, listen, the Son of Man has come, has come to seek and to save the lost of Israel. But what Jesus came in full to do is to come and seek and to save that which was lost, Jew and Gentile, all people. We want to offend people and say, well, you know, if, you, know, if you, just, you just come to church and come, come, you know, come to this and come to that, come to these events, and we're going to have community things going on. Well, you know what? Churches are getting in trouble today because they're doing community things and allowing weird things to come into their churches. What we want to come in here is Bibles, and what we wanted you to leave with is the Word of God in your hearts and in your minds. Because that's what's important in these last days. Yes, go out with the love of God. Yes, go out with the love of Christ. Yes, be merciful and gracious. Yes, be forgiving. Yes, show the character of Christ. But also speak the truth in love, Paul said. And then their ministry, the ministry of the two witnesses, is going to be highly effective in that they are given a sustained power of the Holy Spirit by the Lord. A sustained power of the Holy Spirit by the Lord. You go to verses 5 and 6. This is just a quick review here. But verses 5 and 6 says, And if anyone wants to harm them, listen to this, If anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. (laughs) Can you just see it? Fire coming out of their mouths? And you're thinking... Well, I hope I get the DVD on this one, man, because I want to see that happen. If we're going to be in heaven, you know, all this is going on. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. 
These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood. And to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. Is that, I can use that now? This one here at least? Oh, really? We're in the book of Revelation. Can Can we hit these two banks of lights here? Okay, there's the other picture I showed you before. There's the two witnesses. There, this is the live feed. No, I'm just kidding. Oh. Okay. So here's a verse previous. And if anyone wants to harm them, okay. Hey, this is great. I'm glad. I love, I love my clicker. So, they have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. And we're thinking, wow, this is an amazing thing. Yes, the amazing thing about their ministry is that they will be able to witness for a, a thousand two hundred and sixty days. And by the way, as I said before, it is implied that their ministry will be daily for that amount of time. In spite of the antagonism hurled at them by the Antichrist and the world. They will be raised up to be lampstands. A lampstand is a witness. A lampstand is a witness to the light of the glory of God and of Christ. A lampstand is a witness. What was it that Jesus said to us in Matthew? You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city upon a hill cannot be hid. Then I I get excited because I got this thing in my hand again. No, not really. I'm excited because God has called us to be lampstands. That's really the whole picture. Don't put a bushel over your lampstand, over your light. Because you would be no witness whatsoever. Let your light so shine among men. That they may see the works of God, the works of our Father, and glorify Him. So they're going to be raised up as these landstands, witnesses for God, empowered by the olive oil that is representative of the power of the Holy Spirit. The, the pipes, you know, that come uh, from that picture from Zechariah, which we've already seen, that go right into, you know, the lampstands. Well, if they're the lampstands, they're getting a continual an abundant supply of oil until, listen, until the day uh, that their ministry and their witness is complete. These two witnesses are not going to fail. Even that last day, the twelfth, the, the, the 1260th day, their last day, it isn't going to be as if they've gotten to that day and all of a sudden they messed up or they faltered or they failed or they got weak and then all of a sudden because of that they let their guard down and all of a sudden they're dead. No, they were to minister for 1260 days and on the next day they, their work was already done and God is going to use them in another way. He's going to allow this Antichrist, this beast... To kill them. And one thing that is necessary for us to understand about their power. i got to go back to their power because we're, I don't want to kill them off yet. Too quick. But one thing that is necessary to understand about their power. Speaking of the fact that we're, we're, we're seeing that they're going to have this continual abundant supply of the Holy Spirit. 
what we need to understand about their power is that they will be given supernatural power to defend themselves by sending forth fire out of their mouths to slay anyone who would hurt them. Now it must be understood that the power was in the Lord, just as in the time of Elijah, who called down fire from heaven. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Now, you need to read 2 Kings chapter 1. It, there, there was this uh, the whole thing going on when, when King Ahaziah uh, was, was ill and, and uh, he was calling upon some other entity, you know, for wisdom or understanding or not. And the prophet says, you're going you know, to stay ill and you're going to die. And Ahaziah sends a messenger. He says, I want to find out who was it that said that. And he said, it was Elijah, Elijah the Tishbite. Elijah. Okay. So the king, let's look at, where am I? Okay. The king sent to him a captain of 50 with his 50 men. So he went up to him and there he was sitting on the top of a hill and he spoke to him. Man of God, the king has said, come down. So Elijah answered and he said to the captain of 50, If I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. And if you read the next couple of verses, it happens again. Because they sent another messenger and I wouldn't have been the one that wanted to go the second time, you know, the next captain. But it happens again. But what did he do? He called down fire from heaven and fire came down. So when he, it says that fire came forth from their mouth, what was it? They call, they will call out or they will call down fire from heaven. Do you know who tried to do that before? The apostles when they were with Jesus and they were going along the, the road there and they went to some place that, that was rejecting Jesus and rejecting the message that Jesus had brought to them. And what did Peter, James and John say? Hey, let's call down fire from heaven. We're now in the day of God's grace to speak the truth in love. We'll see a little bit more of that as we go along. But, but that's the thing. This, the fire isn't like fire coming out. They're not dragon. They're not dragon prophets. They call, they call down fire from heaven and it's good. And God sends it. God will send it. See, and that's what the people were saying. They're tormenting us. A whole world can't stop these people for three and a half years. And they're frustrated and angry. And their loved ones are dying because they're rejecting the message and they're trying to hurt them and they keep getting killed. The whole earth will be against these two witnesses, but they will continue to display divine power, to hold back rain, to turn away and uh, turn water into blood, to smite the earth with plagues. Now, the, another point that I want to make is that the day in which they prophesy and display such power is not the present dispensation of grace. We are now in the present dispensation of grace. We are in the dispensation of God's grace and mercy because of the cross of Jesus Christ. You all understand that, right? When Elijah called down fire from heaven, that was before the dispensation of grace. 
though there was grace to all who would come to God and to Christ. So, today, God's true witnesses, do God's true witnesses kill and torment and issue forth judgments upon their enemies? No, we don't. Well, at least we shouldn't. Uh, Because, you see, we do not render evil for evil. This is not what we've been taught in the Scriptures. Render not evil for evil. God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Not yours, mine. Now that is a new te- an Old Testament principle. But nonetheless, what Elijah had to do was done for judgment's sake. So, we do not render evil for evil. Stephen, Paul, and Peter did not avenge themselves and neither do we. And neither should we. The two witnesses, however, are sent to the earth in judgment times. Because now the church is out of the way. This is a very important thing that we need to remember about the rapture of the church. That so much has to happen so that God can completely judge the Jewish people, bring them to their Messiah, and judge the world for its sin and rejection of Jesus Christ, its disobedience to the law and of Christ. So, they are here in what is called judgment times. What have we been studying from chapter 6 of Revelation? The judgments, the uh, seal judgments, now the trumpet judgments are almost over. Now we're going to be getting into the vile judgments or the bowl judgments, as it were. So they are judgment prophets with judgment powers. So, do, Do we understand that? They are judgment prophets with judgment powers. Now, what we have today is this. This is what we have. Well, wrong one. Okay. For, we, for though we walk, this is 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. This is just a reminder that until Jesus Christ comes for the church, we need to understand this. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Do we understand that? Folks, please say you do, and not just to make me feel better. Say that you do because you realize that we need to show and exhibit the love of Christ with our lives. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So, yes, there's a war and there's warfare, but it's not war of the flesh and with fleshly armaments or fleshly weapons. Now, I do want to remind you that in Ephesians 6, verses 12 and 13, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. We need to stand against the attacks of the enemy, and we need to stand for the things of God. But we must do so in the love of Christ. Until Jesus comes. So what we do remember about our outline from the past is that they are going to be persecuted. They are going to be persecuted. 
on the 1,261st day, they will be persecuted. They will be executed, actually. Notice verse 7. I keep turning the wrong way and I think, ah, ah. when they finish their testimony. Notice when they finish their testimony. There is a moment, a day, a, 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 a time that they will be done. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. That's verse 7. You didn't get that. So again, I don't want you to overlook the fact that the two witnesses will not be killed until after they have finished their testimony. Now I remember quoting uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, quoting uh, Philippians 1 verse 6. That he who began a good work in us is able to complete it until the day of Christ. That's Jesus. He will complete the work in us. So there is a testimony for each and every one of us to fulfill. We haven't obviously haven't fulfilled it yet because we're here. Still learning, still ready to go out those doors and serve Jesus Christ. Got it? Alright, so we're still working. But they were coming to the end of their testimony. And the beast who comes up out of the abyss cannot harm them. Until they accomplish their divinely called mission. So what I want you to understand is that Satan will be unable to silence them or to slay them. Who's in control? God is in control. Who knows the end from the beginning? The Lord God of creation. The Lord of heaven and earth. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. And their lives and their labors will stand together. The Lord will not allow anything to interfere with their witness bearing as long as they are in His will. And I can assure you that they will be in God's will for 1,260 days. Now, attempts were made on the life of the Lord. Back in the Gospels, early, even early on in the ministry of Jesus, attempts were made on the life of Jesus, but none of, of them were successful. And it wasn't until he said, it is finished. To Tetelestai in the Greek, it is finished. That he surrendered his spirit to the Father. So you see... We have a ministry to finish. We have a ministry to complete in our lives. And it's not over until the Lord says so. The Lord even raised the Apostle Paul from apparent death so that he might finish his testimony and his course. Praise the Lord that the enemy, that Satan, the devil, does not have power over our lives. Give praise to God that Satan, the devil, the enemy of our souls, does not have control in our lives. He does not have power over our lives. Yes, you can give praise to the Lord for that. You can give praise. Yes. Amen. <laughs> um, I don't want to keep prompting you. You can give praise to the Lord. Yeah, you can. 
We can do it every day. Give praise to the Lord. Because God is in control of us. Now, we also have to do what is right. We also have to live our lives the right way. We have our days of stumbles and ups and downs, but, you know, the Lord is merciful. Praise the Lord for that. Nonetheless, because of where we are in time, we need to get our things right and get things together with our lives. We're we're witnesses of the Lord, folks. We are witnesses. Now, these two witnesses were witnesses. Witnesses was what they were. Testimony is what they gave. We are witnesses. The word in the Greek is martus, from which we get the word martyr, because each and every one of us has to give our lives for the glory of God and of Christ. We, we, we are to die to ourselves so that Christ might live in us. So, in essence, we are martus. We are witnesses. Or actually, uh, yeah, we are witnesses. But what we give is testimony. So we are witnesses. What we are to give in our lives and through our lives is testimony. So we are witnesses of the Lord and He will protect us until our testimony is completed. I want to make that clear. We are witnesses, but what we do is give testimony. And He will protect us until our testimony is complete. That's what we see here about these two witnesses. Now we see that the beast ascends out of the bottomless pit out of the bottomless pit and he will make war against them and overcome them and kill them now the beast is just one name out of about 40 names given to this antichrist in the scriptures i'm not going to give you a whole list today so what we do need to understand is that this beast is more than likely the antichrist who will, more, who will be possessed by Satan himself. There, there's, there should be no doubt that this Antichrist, whether he comes in some persona that is uh, extremely uh, Islamic, because that is a possibility. I talked about this a while back. It is quite possible that this, there's an Islamic uh, connection to this Antichrist. By the way, true Islam or true Islamic people are, in fact, anti-Christ. They are anti-Messiah. They are anti-Jesus as Messiah. They are already anti-Christ. When you read the book of 1 John, the letter, another letter written by the writer of the book of Revelation, he says the spirit of anti-Christ is already here. And that was 2,000 years ago. So, how much more clear are things falling into place prophetically when we think of how powerful Islam is today when 30 to 40 years ago, yes, it was around, but not having the power that it does. You know what is disconcerting to me, and I, and I only say this just honestly, and I, I, some of you may have seen that there's commercials nowadays on, on if you have cable or, or, or satellite, there's commercials for a new uh, network called the Al Jazeera Network or the Al Jazeera USA or Al Jazeera America. And, 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 and they're, 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 they're going to straighten us out as far as news is in our country. Al Jazeera is Islamic. 
And I'm thinking, what are they doing on our TV? You see, how did this all come about? Oh, but you see, we have a Jewish network. So I guess we have to be fair. See? Oh, so I don't know. I mean, it's like, okay, well. And then we, of course, we have our Christian networks. And see, everybody said, well, you have Christian television. We need to have, you know, freedom to have everybody on there. So now we have all kinds of TV programs and TV uh, uh, networks, you know. We've got networks for uh, the LGBT, you know, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender thing. And we have, you know, because we're just all kinds of fair, you know. But we're also all kinds of wrong when we think about it. And the country hurts from it because we've gotten away from the truth. And especially the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God and, and the work of the cross and the blood of Christ. Wow. Isn't that sad? You're looking at me like it's sad. It is. It's sad. And I'm not trying to be a bigot. But I think we better be honest about what the Word of God is teaching us. And we've got to deal with these things. We're going to have to deal with this. All I, can, all, I have to, all I have to do is say 9-11, and what does that tell you? Daniel Pearl. Hamas. Hezbollah. Al-Qaeda. And we're trying to protect that? When they're killing our people that we've you know we want to have the opportunity to preach the gospel to them we don't hate these people we certainly hate what has happened but I'll say this we don't hate these people they sure hate us and they would have us all fried in this place today because of what because of our faith in Jesus and probably because of the statements I've made tonight okay I've got to speak the truth until my testimony is finished I don't know when that is hopefully it's a long time you understand this is serious business and it hurts to have to sometimes say the things that we can say from the pulpit but we have to say them this beast is going to be fully governed by Satan. And it is at this three and a half year mark of the seven year tribulation period that he goes into the temple of God. He's going to go into the temple of God and he desires to be worshipped as God. If there is an Islamic connection to the Antichrist, then he's going to want to be worshipped as Allah. And the 12th Imam or the Mahdi, which is supposedly the Islamic Messiah, is going to come. And, and this is who this could very well be. He is the man of peace, the rider of the white horse with the white gown, the bow but no arrows. 
And he's now become a demon from hell, raging war on those who refuse to worship and follow after him. He is the false Messiah, the kind of savior that the world has always wanted. But it is one that Jesus warned about. He warned about them in John chapter 5. Verse 43, I've come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. Now, I, want, I find it interesting that that's, that's spoken to Jewish people. That's spoken to the Jewish mindset. He says, if another comes in his own name, him you will receive. And how ironic it will be if indeed this is, this is a, an Islam, there's an Islamic connection to this Antichrist. But the deaths of these two witnesses is going to cause this international stir. Uh, let's go to verses 8 and 9 of our text. It says, And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt, uh, where also our Lord was crucified. And then those from the people's tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and, and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. Now, their dead bodies will go unburied and lie in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days. And now it is possible, listen, it is possible that these scenes in John's vision were predicted by Asaph, the psalmist, in Psalm 79, verses 1 through 3. Oh God, the nations have come into your inheritance. Your holy temple they have defiled. Notice. Your holy temple they have defiled. They have laid Jerusalem in heaps. The dead bodies of your servants they have given as food for the birds of the heavens, the flesh of your saints, to the beasts of the earth, their blood that they have shed like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. It's very possible that this is really a, a prophecy about these uh, two witnesses. But again, I want you to notice the place where the witnesses are killed. They are killed, if you refer back to verse 2 of this chapter, it is called the holy city, isn't it? It is called the holy city. What, what would we refer that city to be? Jerusalem, right? Mount Zion, the city of our God. But in verse 8, it is called the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. What an interesting thing. It's called the great city. Is that Jerusalem? Stop, don't think, don't, don't, don't do this or this. Just think about it. It's called the great city. But spiritually, it's Sodom and Egypt. Now here we have our Lord's own description of spiritual and moral conditions in Jerusalem in that day. We see the moral conditions of Jerusalem in the fact that it is described as Sodom and it is described as Egypt. As it was in the days of Lot in Sodom and in the days of the idolatrous pharaohs of Egypt who oppressed and enslaved the, the Israelites, so it will be in the holy city where our Lord was crucified. Sodom. The first, uh, the, just the mention of Sodom. And we think of sexual, perver sexual perversion. The immorality of all of, of, all of that at the time of, of, of Abraham. And just as the Lord sent fire and brimstone from heaven upon Sodom and judgment plagues upon Egypt, because Egypt was, a, was an oppressive uh, society, especially to the Israelites, and they kept them in slavery. 
And so judgment plagues came upon Egypt. Well, just as the Lord did that to those two city uh, nations, He will send awful judgments upon the holy city for 42 months. And it is quite sad that the religious center of the earth, think about this, the religious center of the earth, today Jerusalem is, uh, boasts of the fact that it is a center for three, the three major religions of the world, Christianity, Ju- Judaism, and, and Islam. But it's quite sad that the religious center of the earth, the place of our Lord's birth, the place of our Lord's life, and crucifixion, and resurrection, and ascension, and that city that was to be set apart for holy purposes will fall back so immorally so as to reach its darkest age. And yes, there are a lot of religious people in Israel today. When we go to Israel, uh, we always see them. And they... Uh, are a great contrast to much of the secular uh, society that is Israel today. Uh, that is very immoral in, in a sense, in a lot of ways. When we would never have considered that there, were, there would have been gay pride parades in Israel, now they fight for them, they get them. But that's the kind of immorality that God judged in the past. Will he not judge it again? Because God doesn't change. And neither does his law. But the phrase, the great city, and here's something that we need to consider tonight, is that this great city was also, also has this significance as the great city, but not in the way that we would like it to be. It is actually a term that refers to Babylon. It refers to Babylon... For example, and there are quite a few later on in Revelations chapter 16, 17, and 18, we'll see a number of references to the great city. But here's Revelation 16, 19. It says, Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of His wrath. The great Babylon. The great city. You see, you have to understand spiritual, uh, scriptural consistency. That phrase is speaking of, of, of the spirit of Babylon in Jerusalem. And then I'll give you one more. Revelation 17, verse 18. It says, And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Babylon. And we know that that's what we're going to be focused upon when we get to chapter 16, 17, and 18. Is Babylon. So here, it's, it's, Jerusalem is being referred to as the great city, but the connection is to the spirit of Babylon in this city. But let me just say that any city that is in love with Antichrist could be called Sodom, it could be called Egypt, and it could be called Babylon. Any city that loves Antichrist. But the whole earth is going to rejoice over the death of the two witnesses and will be witness to this event through mass media. We've talked about that already. As things are today, much more than we ever thought we would be seen in our lifetime. Uh, speaking of those from a previous generation, of course. But the news reports of the deaths of, listen, the deaths of Saddam Hussein and the death of uh, Osama bin Laden were greeted with some sort of relief, right? Oh, wow, boy, we finally caught these guys. But, but it will be with greater relief and even unrestrained joy when these two witnesses are finally silenced. And even we in the church have to guard against such insensitivity. 
Because we are still called to stand for righteousness even when much of the church is not wanting to make waves, compromising the truth of the Word of God for political correctness, for fairness, and misapplied equality. We are called to stand for righteousness and truth, and that is the truth of the Word of God and the person of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the cross of Jesus Christ and the power of the blood of Christ to forgive sins and the power of His resurrection to raise the dead to life. But without a proper sense of end-time prophecy, which much of the liberal church today wants to have nothing to do with, the weakened church could be headed in the direction of fixing things up for Jesus when He returns. And, And the questions I have is, can we make things better? Can we, as a church, make things better? Are we called to make things better? Or are we called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and let God make things better? And let God bring to end all of this, uh, this evil that is going on around us. And much of the way that we help in that is that we stop being evil and we start being righteous and we start being holy and we start being true as believers in Jesus Christ. That is what we're called to do until the day of Christ. Well, let's, let's go on. Here's, here's, here's a very important verse. Verse 10 of our text. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them They'll make merry, they'll send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Donald Gray Barnhouse, great preacher of the early, mid to early 20th century, he recalled a time many years ago when, when he went to, into a store at Christmas, uh, Christmas time, and he, and he tried to find a card, a Christmas card, which contained a Christian message. And among all the cards that had Yule logs and pictures of Santa Claus on them, he, he, he found a card which contained the verse, And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice and make merry and shall send gifts to one another. Quoting this verse on a Christmas card. And, and his statement was uh, that he recognized it immediately as, and I quote, a satanic distortion. A satanic distortion. To take a verse to say, Oh, listen, we can put... This this would be good on a Christmas card. To make merry and send gifts to one another. Because two prophets have been killed? They didn't read that part. Or else they just didn't want to read that part. The first part sounded okay. Let's rejoice. And let's... Make merry... The rejoicing, folks, here is over God's martyrs, God's witnesses. The gifts are thank, are thank offerings of relief that the judgments exercised by the two witnesses are now over. You see what this is? This is man's reckoning without God. This is man's reckoning without God because greater judgments, they don't know this, but when, it time, when the time comes... Greater judgments are yet to come. Because the great tribulation is about to begin. When does it begin? On day 1261. 
The great tribulation begins then. And now it says, after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. And they stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. That's going to be great. I'll go back to that one. After three and a half days, they're laying in the streets. You could probably use the terminology of one of Lazarus' sisters who said to Jesus, Lord, he stinketh. And they probably stinketh and will stinketh at that time because they're dead in the street for three and a half days. But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. And in the same hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. In other words, they've been rejoicing these three and a half days because these two witnesses are dead and they're giving gifts to one another. But then, when they rise, in this very same hour, just like when Jesus rose from the dead, there was an earthquake, great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. Well, they will be preserved. They will be preserved. They will be persecuted, but they will be preserved. You know, it's been said that live TV is so unpredictable. Right? Live TV is so unpredictable. You ever seen those early morning shows when they have a little kid that goes, they, they did something on a YouTube thing and they go, well, here's the guy that did it. Let's see if he'll do it. And the kids are doing other things other than doing what they want. Because live TV is so unpredictable, right? So while the whole world is watching and, and they've got their TVs on and instead of watching the Christmas story for 24 hours on TNT, you know, during Christmas time, uh, now they've got the, everybody's watching these two witnesses. They say, look at that. They're really, they're, they're three and a half days now and they're just getting, oh, you know, shriveled up and they look like chicharrones or whatever, you know. And, and they just, you know, they're just, they're just getting, and all of a sudden before you know it, boom, they're, they're, they're getting up and standing on their feet. And they're raised from the dead. And everyone is going to hear the loud voice from heaven. And it will be live over the air. Breaking news. And the two witnesses will ascend into heaven in the cloud of God's glory as cameras follow them until they are out of sight. All the modernists and liberals who reject the literal resurrection and rapture will witness both. Both a resurrection and a rapture. Because God says, come up here and... Vamanos, there they go. The death, the resurrection, and ascension of the witnesses harmonize in some details with that of our Lord Jesus. The tomb of Christ was watched and guarded by men who were overjoyed at his death, but they could not prevent his resurrection and ascension. He went back to heaven from whence he came, and so do all of God's own. The Lord preserves all who come to him through Jesus Christ. The Lord will preserve all who come to Jesus Christ. So no matter what happens to us, whether we die on this earth or the Lord takes us in rapture, the Lord is preserving us. 
The earthquake itself is not symbolic. It is a literal earthquake, an actual visitation of judgment from God. Remember, they thought, these guys are gone now. Three and a half days, we're checking them out. They're still dead. Praise the Lord. That's good, right? They wouldn't say praise the Lord. You know, praise Allah. I don't know. Something. They're going to say something. And they're going to say, oh, they're just, okay, no more judgment. Yeah, well, the minute they rise, there's judgment. And we're told that 7,000 people will be killed more than in major earthquakes of the past. It's going to be a big one. The text reveals that the 7,000 will be people of name. Literally, it's, it's people or men of name, which means they are men of renown. There are going to be 7,000 people, many of them very well known, which will wake up the populace that is so interested in in the cult of personality today as well as in in that time. And the result of the earthquake is fear and God getting the glory. The result is fear and God getting the glory. But the fact that people give glory to God of heaven does not necessarily speak of salvation. Let's just say that right now. It speaks of the realization of God's power. It speaks of the realization of God's power. It could mean that some may repent at that moment and turn their lives over to God. It could mean that. But it doesn't mean that everybody will. Because you see, repentance is still necessary. Confession is still necessary. Jesus said, uh, or it is said, I should say, in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, well, Jesus said at the time, is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is something Jesus said. Repent. But we are to confess. As Paul said in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. All that still remains the same. They might give glory because of the realization of God's power, but it doesn't mean that they've repented and confessed let me put it in this very simple phrase they will get to know the power of God but not necessarily the God of the power they will get to know the power of God but they will not necessarily know the God of power how many people do you know that have said oh yeah I believe I believe I believe but they they don't really believe They're more superstitious about things than they are real believers in the things of God. They're going to see great power. And they say, it's the glory of God. But that doesn't save a person. We'll start here next week where it says the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. And we will close out chapter 11 next week. But I want to leave you with this thought. As Christians, we may get beat up. As Christians, we may get tired when we share our faith and it gets thrown back in our faces or we just get rejected, ostracized maybe. when we share our faith and live as the Lord would have us to live. I just want to encourage you, don't give up. 
Don't give up. You know, even though we didn't have the words up there for our songs, didn't you just rejoice in the Lord tonight? Because of His presence, because of His power, because of His love, because of His mercy. We, we don't want to give up. Because as somebody once said, I've read the end of the book and we win. <laughs> the fact is, God will strengthen us. And He will revive us in the work. Don't we need revival every day? Don't we just need to be revived every day to serve the Lord? Because we know what our flesh is like. We know where we've been. We know where we've come from. But thank the Lord He knows us better. And He knows what we need. And He gives us what we need. He never holds back anything that we need for life and godliness through Jesus Christ. He never holds anything back. So don't ever think that God is holding something back until you get yourself right. No. You come to Him. He'll get you right. And then He'll give you what you need. That's how we need to live our lives. If ever anybody tells you, oh, listen, I can't go to church yet. I think I'm going to get my life right. No, you don't get your life right and then come to church. You get your life right because you come to Jesus and say, my life is not right. I need you to change it. I need you to help me. I need you to give me a new heart and a new mind. And, and our job is to say to them, listen, you need to confess the Lord Jesus with your mouth. And you need to believe in your heart that He's risen from the dead. Then you shall be saved. For with the mouth, confession is made unto righteousness. And with the heart, we believe. And we stand upon the truths of the gospel and of Jesus. So what He has called us to do is to do and to be. We are called to do the work of the ministry. We are called to be the image of Christ. We are called to be the light of of Christ. We are called to be the light of the world. So I'll close with this. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Uh, my beloved be, uh, brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the labor, that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's not in vain. Don't give up. Keep serving the Lord. He's coming soon. Okay, part two starts in five minutes. No, I'm just kidding. It's already a little late. I, I, I know that most of you have a watch or, or something or your phone and you look and say, man, we're ten minutes after. I said, don't look back because you remember what happened to Lot's wife. She looked back. <laughs> don't, don't be doing that now, okay? All right, let's pray.